This is our last week in our sermon series, Corners of the Field, and uh, I'm going to start by asking the question, have you ever needed rest? Amen. <laughs> and I don't mean uh, just like, hey, I need sleep, or, uh, you know, sleeping in a little bit, or taking a nap, we'll fix it, but like, deep rest. You've maybe gone through a season that has worn you out, or you've gone through a situation that has just taken all of your resources and you just need to stop and rest. Uh, some of you know, I shared some stories about my life outside of pastoral ministry. There was a time where I was a logistics manager uh, in a couple different companies for a while, but there's one season where I took a new job uh, for a company that was a third-party logistics. What that means is we did warehousing and distribution for another company. They would pay us X number of dollars to do their warehousing and to ship their orders. And the company I was working for was starting a new account. And so this company was transitioning from doing their own warehousing to letting us do it. And when you go into a situation like that, you know that it's going to be crazy for a season. Um, shipping, and organizing trucks and inventory, and we had to hire um, two shifts worth of warehouse workers. Um, so there was interviews and training and all the technology and everything that comes into it. And then, you know, breakdowns in communication. Um, the, the company we were going to do warehousing for didn't tell us everything. I don't think we told them everything. And so <clears throat> the the first week we went live in, in shipping, uh, the first day we were done, we, we got like three hours worth of work done in basically 24 hours. Like it was just a train wreck. And we knew that was going to happen. We had, we had um, kind of buffered things. It takes a while for people to get up to speed and for us to learn everything that we were doing. Um, and so I knew that that was going to be the season we were in. Um, my role at this company was operations support manager which meant that I was the manager in charge of customer service, transportation, um, and then like the technology usage. And so before we even started warehousing, um, my company sent me, I went to, to Dallas, I went to Columbus, Ohio, somewhere else. Um, oh, a couple different warehouses closer to home. And was learning from, oh, somewhere in Wisconsin, um, learning the technology because our company was the first to use this new software, all this stuff. So I kind of bounced around for a while to be the site expert on some of these things. And I knew when things went live, I was the only one trained on some of these things, uh, which meant if they were having a problem at 11.30 at night on second shift, it was my phone that was going to ring, all that. So the first 30 days that we were open, that we were shipping and receiving orders, uh, my average workday was probably about 16 hours. Um, I worked 31 days straight. My regional vice president called my boss and told me they had to give me a day off because they couldn't afford to kill me. Um, but I was working 100 plus hours a week. It was great, seven days a week, whatever. Like I said, I knew, I knew that was the season and that there was becoming normal. And right around the time we got our, our situation under control and things started to settle down, I felt like we could settle into a routine, um, my company got another account, a smaller one, but they could kind of shoehorn it into the back part of our building. They built a partition wall. And, and uh, 
So it's a smaller account, and what they did was, they needed somebody who was an expert in handling food items, the, the lots, you know, production expiration dates, those types of things. Um, and just so happened that our floor, first shift floor supervisor, was an expert. He had been doing food stuff for a long time. So they came up with the idea that they were going to send him to the other account in our same building and not replace him, but just ask me to do the floor thing. So our, for a season, our warehouse workers were coming in at 4.30 in the morning, which meant I had to be there at 4. I'd start the day off, run the floor, and then try to do my job on top of it. So I was working 4 to whatever, 6 every day, 6 days a week. Um, and then come Sunday, I would drag myself out of bed, go to church, and do whatever I could there, and then go home and fall asleep on the couch, or in the chair, or wherever I stopped moving, I'd fall asleep. Um, and so it's with that in mind, I want to talk about the relationship between rest and work. Right? So this whole idea of corners of the field, we've been talking about leaving certain areas of the field unworked, um, leaving edges unharvested, not picking certain grapes off the vine, etc. Um, these were commands from God to the earliest Israelites on how they should work their fields and what they should do. Um, and in the past few weeks, we've talked about how God calls us to be generous with our resources, right? Um, we've talked about how living a life that requires every grape from the vine or a life that requires every grain out of the field um, causes us to worry, creates stress, fear, and turns our focus inward, right? We've been talking about that. Um, we've even talked about when we live lives that, that need every grape off the vine, um, other people's needs become a threat to ours, to our own selves, our own ability to provide for ourselves. So then we start talking about trusting God and seeking the kingdom, right? Rather than seeking our own kingdom, seeking God's kingdom. We've talked about remembering what God has done in the past and knowing that he's a good God and provides for us so we don't have to worry. We can trust God going into the future. And then last week we talked about how welcoming others, extending hospitality towards others, might make us uncomfortable to see somebody else eating our grapes, picking our grain. Um, and this week's we continue to use God's commands to his people about harvesting uh, to look at what it means to be a, a child of God. Right, so it's a different passage of scripture. This time we're in Exodus chapter 23. So we've looked at Leviticus a couple weeks. Uh, we were in Deuteronomy a little bit, right? And now we're in Exodus. So this is kind of all over the, the early Old Testament. But you'll see that the language is very similar. And I hope you get the idea that this, is, this was important. Um, what these people did with their fields uh, and how they lived in community was really important. Um, so Exodus 23, just a couple of verses, uh, 10, 11, and 12 is what we're going to look at. Um, it says 1 up there, but that's not true. It's actually 10, 11, 10 to 12. Um, Exodus 23, 10-12 says this, For six years you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops. During the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. 
Then the poor among their people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what is left. <coughs> do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living amongst you may be refreshed. Uh, pray with me if you will. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. Again, it's, we are grateful for the words printed on pages in our Bibles and preserved over time and translated by, by scholars and, and cared for by the church so that today we can open Bibles and, and put words on screens and have apps that go with us wherever we go to teach us these words that, that you have given us. But more importantly today, we are grateful for the word that has become flesh and lived amongst us. The word that is Jesus. The word that is uh, not just an idea, but is incarnate, is physical, tangible, and real amongst us. So may the, the reading of this word on pages point us to the word that is your son. We thank you and love you. Amen. So like I said a few moments ago, this is like the third different scripture we've looked at in five weeks. Again, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and now we're in Exodus. We start to see the similar language about do this in your fields, do this for this reason, for the people, for the animals, whatever. These themes would have been a foundation for the early Jewish communities. Um, I was listening into Paul's Sunday School class a little bit online, and he was mentioning... Uh, in the New Testament, one of the challenges that they wrestled with was Gnosticism, this idea that, that faith or religion was all a spiritual thing separated from a physical thing. You can see for the Jewish people, this was not, that was not the way they saw the world. Like faith in God meant like, what do I do with my grapes? Like it was very everyday, ordinary, practical, real life stuff that their faith affected. So these themes are the foundation of the Jewish scriptures, and Jesus would have grown up studying these, knowing them. This is the foundation of his understanding of faith, right? Like he, he grew up in a Jewish community. This is his, his lens to understand his father. And if you've been here for the past few weeks and you've been hearing us talk about leaving things in the field for others, not harvesting everything, uh, allowing other people access to your resources. Um, and you think that those are easy concepts. It's like, oh, no problem. We're good. <clears throat> um, then this week kind of ups the ante a little bit. Um, if you've been really comfortable with all the last few weeks, this one should probably make you a little bit more uncomfortable because this one says, this is God to his people, work for six years, and then every seventh year, just don't work for an entire year. Take the whole year off and let whatever grows in your field, let just people have access to it. And then when they're done with it, animals or whatever can eat it. But yeah, work six years for sure. But every seven years, take a year off. There's a lot going on here in the scripture. So let's start with this idea of working six years or as verse 12 said, to work six days and then have the seventh off, right? 
This rhythm is called Sabbath, the six days of work, six years of work, the seventh of rest. And this idea of Sabbath, that's a word that comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which is typically translated as rest. It literally, the most literal translation is it just means stopping. It stop working, stopping. So every seventh day or every seventh year, God calls his people to stop. <coughs> and we see this pattern in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. God creates the world in six days, right? He works for six days. Six days he, he creates, and on the seventh he rests and enjoys what has been created in those first six days. He says it's good, and he enjoys it. And he enters into a relationship, and he rests. Part of the Ten Commandments uh, also reminds us about the Sabbath. So the people of God have been freed from Egypt, right? The Exodus, they crossed through the Red Sea, and they're freed. And one of the, one of the first things that God says to his people about, hey, you're, you're free now, but here's what it means to live in obedience to me. One of the commandments is, you're only going to work six days. Remember the Sabbath and keep it the Pharaoh wanted you to work seven days. Your value was tied up in what you could produce. But when, you, when, when you're one of God's children, you get a whole day just to be in the presence of God. And so what can happen, though, over time is that we have this, this command of Sabbath and we understand it. It's not tricky. Six and one is not a hard concept. Uh, but the temptation can be to turn Sabbath into some sort of legalistic mechanism, a measuring stick of how good of a Jew or a Christian somebody is. In the New Testament, we see Jesus and his disciples. There's a story where they're walking through a field on a Sabbath, and they grab some grains out of the field. And the Pharisees, these religious rule keepers, get upset because that's technically work, according to them. Jesus wasn't keeping the Sabbath. What kind of teacher, what kind of rabbi was he for plucking a grain off of a, uh, out of a field? And we might think that sounds ridiculous, but for those of us who have been in the church for a while, who grew up and uh, have lived in a church where the expectation is, hey, the, the rhythm is Sundays, we go to church. Um, what is our reaction when we hear that people have missed two or three weeks of church in a row. They did something else, or they just slept in. Right? Oh, it's obviously not important to them, or what are they doing, or fill in the blank. It's easy to fall into the temptation of using other people's Sabbath practices as a measuring stick, uh, evaluating one's level of faith based off of one's activities. So let me ask you this question to try and move us in the direction that I'm wanting us to go this morning. Back when I was working six days a week at the warehouse, and my alarm was going off at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I was getting home absolutely stressed out and exhausted, just ready for a shower and ready for bed. Um, six days a week, that was my life. And then that Sunday, I went to church for one hour, and I would pray the prayers, I would sing the songs, listen to the message, I'd eat some food and then fall asleep in the chair. Would you say that I was remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy? 
If we reduce Sabbath to going to church on Sunday, then, then I was doing pretty good. Despite everything else that was going on, I was in church. And spending a certain number of hours, I'd take a nap on Sunday afternoon. So if that's our definition of Sabbath, is going to church and taking a nap, then I was doing pretty good. But I can testify to you that the way I was living, the stress that I was <coughs> enduring myself, the stress that, my, that this put on my family and my relationships, due to my work, is not what God intended for me, my family, or my community that I was a part of. You see, even my rest was tied up in my work. I'd get home from church, I'd eat some food, and I'm like, man, i got to get some sleep, otherwise I'm not going to be able to work this week. Rest was in preparation for more work. Right? My, my, <laughs> my Sabbath was serving my work. And if I didn't take that break, I would, by Wednesday I would be fizzled out, I would be done. I wasn't recharging my batteries each week so I could spend time in the presence of God or in family or whatever. I was resting to fill up my tank to get back to work. I was resting so I could work better. And I guess that I'm probably not the only one that's ever lived this rhythm lived this way, um, where we push and push and push during a week to achieve everything that we feel like we need to, and then we use our time away from work to recover and prepare to go back at it again the next week. I think we've all found ourselves in those seasons of life. Back in January of 2000, I was a, a, a college student, I was a, a sophomore at Olivet Nazarene University, and I traveled with a group from the school to Jerusalem. And we were in Jerusalem on a, on a Friday afternoon, uh, visiting some of the holy sites, the historic sites, honestly doing some of the touristy stuff that you do in the city. And as we were heading back to our hotel, the sun set. And the main streets started to fill up with crowds of people. And there was music playing, and dancing, and singing. It was like a block party, but it went through the whole main streets that our hotel was on. It was everywhere, every which way we looked out, there was these partying in the streets. And so, I'm walking to our hotel back from wherever the last site was we visited, and this guy starts talking to me. Now, he, he had his van, parked to the side of the street, and the back was open, and in the back of this van was like 10 giant speakers. And he had music just blasting, like club electronic dance music, just, you know, just going crazy. And he comes up and starts talking to me, and I didn't really understand, I couldn't hear him because the music was so loud, and there's people just dancing all around. And um, what I did understand from him was that he told me he was the Messiah. Um, I met the Messiah in Jerusalem on a Friday night in <coughs> 2000. Um, I said, okay, cool, whatever. And then I asked my tour guide once we got a little bit farther away. I said, what was that all about? And he said, well, this is, this is Sabbath. Friday night at sundown is when the Jewish Sabbath begins. Now, there's more religious Jewish people that were at home having dinner uh, in a quiet place. But it's a cultural thing, too. Just in the same way that in America we have the weekend, 
Sabbath was a cultural thing. And so these people come out every Friday night and take to the streets and just have a party. And I said, this seems really weird to me. Like, I, I'm in the Holy Land. <laughs> I'm having some culture shock to begin with. Like, this is my first time international travel, but also going to these historic holy sites. Like, the Bible seems real in a way they've never seen before. But then, I'm in Jerusalem, the city of David, and we're having a street dance party. I meet the Messiah, and they say, this is, this is Sabbath. I could not have come up with that scene on my own if you asked me before the trip what a Sabbath looked like in Jerusalem on a Friday night. I said it seemed weird to me and I thought of Sabbath differently. And he told me, he encouraged me that before I make too many judgments about what they were doing, to make sure my understanding of Sabbath was in line with what God says it to be. Because I was at that point a young Christian that thought a dance party in the street was a strange way of remembering the holy day but had no theological issues with a weekly work routine that cost my ability to spend time with God, to spend time with my family, my friends, or anyone else that might need me, because I went to church for an hour and took a nap on Sunday. I was resting so I could work, and my tour guide called me out on that. He said, before you judge what they're doing, look at your own understanding. Work ultimately was the goal, rest was the means of getting there, but God's way is different than that. In Genesis, God worked six days so that he could enjoy that which he created. God rested on day seven so he could participate in a deeper relationship with his creation. And so I'm inviting us today to use this command of Work six years, take a seventh year off. Work six days, take a seventh day off. I'm inviting us to see uh, a shift in our understanding of Sabbath. Rest is not a means of doing our work better. Sabbath is the goal, and work is a means of achieving it. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if you knew that every seven years you were going to take an entire year off, what do you think you'd be doing the first six years before that? You'd be preparing for it. Knowing that you were going to take that seventh year off, your first six years would be shaped by the idea that I've got to do things to get ready for it. It shapes your work. And so now, making that rest a priority shapes the work that I do. I'm going to work these six years so that the seventh year I can rest. Or on a six day and one pattern, I'm gonna let my six days prepare me for that seventh day of rest. It see how the, 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 the balance shifts there, where I was, when I was working in the warehouse, my one day of rest was preparing me for six days of work. What God is inviting us to do is to use our work to prepare us for one day of rest. And not to refuel our tanks, but to spend time in His presence. To develop deeper relationships, to enjoy creation around us. Rest is not the means of doing our work better, but Sabbath is the goal. As Chris said in this morning about our altars, the ability to draw near to God is a blessing, right? Like, 
And every seven days, God is inviting us to take a deeper uh, time of rest in relationship with Him. If we make time with God and make time with others, and we enjoy what God has provided us, if we make that the goal, if we say that's the priority, that's what we defend, then work becomes the servant of that. And resting in God becomes the ultimate expression of Sabbath. So let me ask you, do you rest so that you can work? Or do you work so that you can enter into Sabbath? Do you spend your, your, your work days preparing for a day of closer, intimate relationship with God and other people? Or do you spend your day of rest preparing to work harder the next six days? I've learned that Sabbath is not about working or attending a church service, although I think it should be part of our rest and time with God. When Jesus was asked what the most important law was, he didn't say we should work as much as we can or work as hard as we can. He said we should love God and love our neighbors. And so Sabbath isn't about checking some box to make sure we can call ourselves a good person, like I went to church, check, I'm good. <clears throat> it's about creating a lifetime of moments, of encounters with others and with God that honestly shape us. Walter Brueggemann, one of my, my favorite theologians, says that people that keep the Sabbath live all seven days differently. What a great statement. Those who keep the Sabbath live all seven days differently. Because if you know the seventh year you're not going to work, the six years prior you're going to change how you do that. You're preparing yourself to enter into that rest. It creates a lifetime of moments in which we can spend time with God and with others, not consumed with thoughts of work, not exhausted from our efforts to achieve, not defined by how much we can produce. And please don't understand me this morning, I'm not saying work is bad or that you shouldn't provide for your family or any of that. What I'm saying is that we need to, as God commanded, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. We must prioritize our relationship with God and with others above our work. We must use our work as a means of entering into Sabbath rest. Then we can enjoy and celebrate our relationships and the goodness of God. And when we learn to do that, it is so much easier to see the needs of another person. Again, the whole idea behind corners of the field is that what we have been given pours out of our own lives and into the lives of others who have needs as well. So I'm not in competition with others for my resources. I'm not. <clears throat> my time of rest and the time of not working isn't consumed by, well, I better get as much rest as I can because work is coming. In fact, the goal is to spend time in community and fellowship with others. God loves you enough that he didn't create a world and then leave us to toil and burden ourselves in isolation and work. That was not his intention for us. Jesus says that people were created to serve the Sabbath. We're not created to serve the Sabbath. That's a good distinction. People were not created to serve the Sabbath, but Sabbath was created to serve people. It's for your benefit. It's to enrich your life, to enrich your relationships. And 
we see that so much of Jesus' ministry happens around the table, as we discussed uh, in the Meals with Jesus sermon series, or you know, just having a meal with someone, sharing the blessings of God. Jesus tells people that his burden is light, to come to him and find rest if you're weary and burdened by the things of the world. The, the way of Jesus is meant to be life-giving. So if you find yourself today resting so you can work, or if time with God and time with others doesn't seem to fit into your schedule, I invite you to seek God's rest. Seek the Sabbath. And not because I'll judge you for it if you don't, or I think you'll be a better Christian if you don't. This isn't an all-or-nothing type of thing. It's a spectrum. It takes work. It takes practice. It takes trial and error. But seek it because God worked six days and then rested on the seventh because he wanted to spend time in fellowship with you, with his creation. Enjoy the goodness of God and his creations. We don't participate in Sabbath in order that we get refueled to do something greater. Rather, spending time communing with God and with others is the ultimate goal. Right? Where would you rather be? What would you rather be doing than spending time with God and with the people you care the most about? God's plan is not to make us better equipped individuals or better workers. God's plan is to gather us to himself so that we may live in his presence. The Bible ends with a promise that all things have been made new, that God has overcome sin, and that the relationship we lost because of sin has been completely restored. That relationship has been made perfect in the kingdom of God. We have access to the king. And while this plan still remains to be fulfilled in the future, not everyone is experiencing God that way yet. The church gets to enjoy that future now. We get that opportunity. We receive new life. We can live in a community of redeemed people. We get to share in a meal that's prepared for us now. So remember the ultimate reality, the highest priority, the most valued thing in God's kingdom is not work. It's relationship with him. And with others. And so the invitation today is to identify that which keeps you from experiencing Sabbath. Find rhythms, find habits and routines to prioritize a Sabbath rest. If your calendar is full from start to finish, take a look at it. Say, what am I squeezing out? What can I let go of to make room for relationship with God, to enjoy the goodness of the life that he is providing for me? That's the invitation for today. I was, I was talking with Pastor Hannah earlier this week about preparing a sermon about rest to a congregation that has a substantial amount of retirees uh, in it. Like I'm talking a ton about work to a group of people that don't have a job, per se. And I was talking with Hannah about how that was a, kind of a weird message to preach, but I was going to preach it anyways because I think a culture that has told generations of people that what you produce is what you are worth, that even people in retirement are struggling with this message of rest. 
You may not be working as much. You may not be working for somebody else. But you may still be wrestling with the idea that what I produce is what my value is. Maybe retirement isn't what you had hoped it to be because you can't sit still because you're worried that people will think you're not working hard enough. Maybe you judge yourself based on what you can produce. And Jesus shows up and God in these commands shows up and says, don't do that. The ultimate thing isn't what you can produce. It isn't how much work you can do and your value doesn't go down when you can't work as much. But rather, the most important thing you can do is spend time with me. And so see time away from work. Seek a time of retirement or a time of, of rest, extended rest. It's an opportunity to draw near to God in a way that you haven't been afforded before. So identify those things that keep you from experiencing Sabbath. Make it a priority. Find rhythms. Find habits, routines. Prioritize Sabbath. Make a plan. That's the invitation. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy.